this is the first chapter. <laughs> ah, the word says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa Hanani, one of my brothers arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them, redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. And at the time, I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful to be in your house again today. Father, we can be together and hear your word. Um, as the prayer we just read, Father, we do confess our sins, and we are so thankful that uh, if we obey your commands and we uh, search you, that you have not forsaken us and that you desire for us to come out of exile and be with you. Be with Brother Brad as he teaches through Nehemiah. Be with us, Father. Uh, that anything that's in our minds and hearts be clear, that we can be attentive, and that we can let the word sink into our hearts and into our minds and into our soul, that we might better worship you throughout the week. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The story we are about to study for the next several re weeks was written about the 5th century B.C. The story of Nehemiah takes place in the 5th century B.C., about a thousand years after Israel had crossed the Jordan River and entered into the Promised Land on their way out of Egypt. It's 500 years after the reign of King David. It's 152 years after Nebuchadnezzar had brought his armies from Babylon and smashed the gates of Jerusalem, broke down their walls, and looted the temple of the living God. That is the time which we are studying in fact, Jerusalem had become such a desolate place that it was no longer even the capital of its region. Uh, Babylon had reassigned that privilege to the city of Susa, which is where Nehemiah was. Jerusalem was a nothing city. 
It had gone from being one of the greatest cities on the face of the earth, so great that when Solomon ruled there, that people came from every nation to observe the greatness of Israel, the wonder of Jerusalem, and the wisdom of King Solomon, to a place that had no gates, very few people, and had almost been overtaken again by the desert. It was a desolate land. There was only a small remnant of people left when Nebuchadnezzar had broken down the walls. He had captured the people and he had taken them off into slavery. There were very few who had escaped that exile. So for all appearances from the outside, Israel was finished. There was no Israel. There was only a small group of people left. There was no country or nation of Israel. And the reason that they had been utterly defeated and destroyed is because they had broken covenant with their God. And the reason that their walls were broken down is because they had broken God's heart. God broke down their walls because they had broken His heart. They had ceased to love Him, even though it was He who had delivered them from Egypt and had watched over them as a mother hen watches over her chicks, so God had taken care of Israel. But they had forsaken Him. And they had chased the false gods of those who were around them. And their hearts were not dedicated to him. And they did not give him thanks. And they continued down the path of wickedness. Because when you do not love God, you will love wickedness. And they began to become so corrupt, they even offered their own children in the fire to the Baals. And God could no longer stand for them to bear his name. And he smashed that city that was the apple of his eye and scattered them to the ends of the earth. You may have heard of the book of Nehemiah and that you think it is about a great leader building walls in the time of opposition, but that is exactly what this book is not about. This book is about God rebuilding his people, and he has no opposition to do that other than their faithlessness. This is about God's continuing faithfulness to a people who had utterly rejected him, and yet he would not ever utterly reject them. He will use this man, Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is a man of faith. And that is what we need to be. For this morning I tell you that all over the face of the earth the harvest is white and ready. And the Lord is seeking people to go out into that harvest, to gather them. The Lord's compassion had never turned from Israel. When you read this prayer from Nehemiah, Do not think of God as estranged from his people that he didn't care and that he was so mad he had utterly cast them off and that when he heard Nehemiah preach that suddenly his mind was changed and he began to look at Jerusalem again. See, Nehemiah was a godly man and what it means to be godly is to have the same heart as God. So when Nehemiah prays and his heart is broken over the people of Israel, we see only a glimpse of God's own heart being broken over the fate of his people. God was not reluctant to save Israel. He wanted to save Israel and always had. And he knew in his wisdom that the only way to save them was to break them. Break them of their idolatry. Break them of their pride so that one day they may turn again and call upon his name. One thing I want you to realize here in this chapter is that Nehemiah had hope for his people. Nehemiah had hope for his people even though he was an important man. He was a noble. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was doing very well for himself in the exile. He could have lived out his life as cupbearer to the king, lived a fine life, and never had any real trouble. 
But what was more important to Nehemiah than living in the king's palace was the fate of his people and his kinsmen who bore the name of God. And when he heard of the conditions that still prevailed in the land of Israel, his heart was broken. See, hope expresses itself in ways you may not expect. I want you to hear this. The reason that Nehemiah was broken is because he had hope. He had hoped that God would turn from his fierce anger and rebuild his people. The reason that he asked God to help his people is because despite the fact that they had been utterly destroyed, the kingdom of David pulled down, that God would still turn and rebuild his people once again. That no matter how bad it looked, he would bring his people back together. That he would revive the kingdom of David. Nehemiah was devastated to hear that after 150 years, the people were still living in such conditions. And even though the situation looked completely hopeless, he sat down and cried and prayed and fasted. He called on the promises of God, which he knew could never be broken. God, please. Don't forget your people. His hope made him the man that he was. He was devastated, but he still had hope because he knew that no matter how bad things looked, God was still faithful. Even though there was no Israel, there could be an Israel. Even though there was no king in Jerusalem, there could be a king in Jerusalem. Nehemiah believed that his people had a future and hope. And so... His faith in the promises of God led him to pray for a kingdom that was shattered. And so Nehemiah sits down and the first thing he does when he is praying for his people through his broken heart, he confesses his sin and the sin of the people of Israel. And I want you to think about this because we don't think enough. When Nehemiah began to pray, he did not pray about those sorry Babylonians who had come and destroyed them and that God would take his vengeance on that people. He did not shift the blame from the people of Israel to the people of Babylon because he knew that the people of Babylon were simply an instrument of God. They could not have come within a hundred miles of that place unless the Lord God had allowed it. He knew the stories of old. He knew how when the Assyrians had come and attacked Jerusalem and surrounded the walls and when the king had cried out that God struck down a million in one night with one angel. He knew that the Babylonians did not come and wreck Jerusalem on their own. And so he did not blame them. He did not ask for revenge. In fact, what he blames is his own sin and the sin of his fathers, and the sins of his people. He says, Lord, the reason this has happened is because we sinned against you. We broke covenant. They did not love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. They had for Forsaken the commandment not to have any other gods before him. And God scattered them for it. Nehemiah was not content with his ease. He wanted his people restored. He wanted God's name to be glorified in Jerusalem again. He wanted God's temple to be built again. He wanted the people to call on the name of the Lord again. So he prayed. He wanted God to be glorified. Look at verses 8 through 9. Here is how he wrestled with God in prayer. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. Remember God. 
If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the peoples. Nehemiah had witnessed that firsthand. That's why he repented. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chose for my name to dwell. Nehemiah's hope was founded on the solid promises of God and he did not doubt for one moment that God could keep his promise. So he prayed, he confessed, he fasted. No matter how things look for you or for the church of Jesus Christ or no matter what is going on in this world, God is faithful and his people have a future and hope. There is nothing that can separate the people of God from the love of God which is theirs in Christ Jesus our Lord. And even though the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, and even though their gates had been burned, and even though their people had gone into exile all over the face of the earth, God would never leave nor forsake them, ever. He had bound himself to them by promise. When Abraham was put into a deep sleep in Genesis chapter 15. The Lord appeared to him as a fiery pot and Abraham had laid out two pieces of sacrifice because it was traditional in those days when people made covenants that they would walk between the carcass of a slain animal and that if they broke their promise then they would become as the slain animal. But on that fateful night, Abraham did not walk between the slain beasts. God went alone. His glory is bound up forever in his people. And his promise is to us, just as it was to Israel, that he will never leave nor forsake us and that wherever we go, he will go. And he will be our God forever. Nehemiah believed this and this is why he prayed and this is why he confessed and this is why he had a hope that God would bring change and hope to the condition of his people. And that promise was the same then as it is today. And what we need are people who believe it. The word of God says that the Lord God's eyes roam to and fro throughout the world seeking those who may, may help, who tremble at his word. God has not forsaken us. God is looking for us. He searches for those whose hearts are his and he uses them to change the world. Even though at the time Babylon was the greatest kingdom on earth and Israel was nothing. They were nothing. And God as he began to rebuild the remnant in Israel and in Jerusalem it would still have appeared to the eyes of the world as if nothing were happening. Do we remember any of those peoples today? Are we reading their story? What the world sees as important is not always what is important. And this remnant, the faithful remnant, which God began to gather, would change the world, not through their feats of conquering nations as they once had, but through bringing in the Lord's Messiah who would save the world from their sins. Nehemiah prayed, and he did not doubt 
that God could keep his word. And Nehemiah himself prays to be part of the solution. He knew that he was positioned in such a way that he himself could have influence over the king of Babylon, the most powerful king in the world. He knew as his cupbearer that he had influence there, that he was trusted. And he prayed in verse 11, Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight and revere in your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. And the man he's speaking of is the king. Nehemiah was not there to persuade God to be merciful. God is merciful. Nehemiah's heart was broken for Israel, but God's heart was but Nehemiah's heart was hard towards Israel in comparison to the Lord's heart for his people. God was looking for someone to repent. God was seeking for someone to lead his people home. God was seeking for someone to bring glory once again to his name, which would mean the reform of his people as they would seek what is right and forsake which is wrong. And so Nehemiah repented and God heard his cry because he was waiting for it. He was looking for it, for someone to seek his face. Nehemiah is not the hero of this book. He is not the savior of Israel. He is not the one who has loved Israel with everlasting love. He was a servant of God, but he was a sinner like the rest. He confessed it, Lord, I have sinned as my father's sinned. We have sinned. Nehemiah is not the savior of Israel. Where was, where was Nehemiah when Israel cried out in bondage in Egypt because Pharaoh had made their life harsh? Where was he when God did that? And where was the Lord? Where was Nehemiah when Pharaoh refused to let the people go? Where was Nehemiah when God sent the plagues on the people? Where was Nehemiah when the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed so that God's people could walk out free? Where was Nehemiah when the Red Sea dried up and the children of Israel walked across on dry land and when the Egyptians tried to follow were drowned? Where was he? Where was the Lord? Where was Nehemiah when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and walked into Jericho because the walls had fallen down? Where was Nehemiah then? Nehemiah had not been born when the Philistines raided Israel and put them into bondage. Nehemiah had not been born when God raised up Samson to deliver them. Nehemiah was not there when their lands were taken and their people enslaved when King Nebuchadnezzar had broken down their walls. But God was there through every single one of these episodes, through all of Israel's unfaithfulness and through all of their troubles and trials, God was there. And as Jesus Christ himself said, as he looked over Jerusalem from the hilltop, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have always longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. This story is part of the larger story of God's longing for his people to come to him, to be nurtured by him, to be loved by him and to love him, to have him as their God and him to have them as their people. This is not about brave Jeremiah. This is about merciful Yahweh who continues to deliver his people. That is the lesson for you and I. 
The lesson is that God, even today, seeks those to whom he can show himself faithful. You are no different than Nehemiah. Elijah was a man just like us. Same faults and same problems. And yet when he prayed, the Lord withheld rain on the earth for seven years. Because God was looking for someone who was looking for him. Someone who loved him. The Bible is not about Elijah's great power. And it is not about Nehemiah's great leadership. It is about God's great love. And how he uses sinful, broken people to show his love to the world. You can be that person. We can be that people. Hear me well this morning. Things may look bad for you. It may look bad to you. You may think that this is the worst time in the history of the world. And it might be. How would I know? Where was I when Israel cried out in bondage? But I know this. God can make people from himself in the very stones if we don't worship him. God can bring the dead to life. God can make the lame dance. God can make the mute sing. And he can make the deaf hear. And so no matter how dark and bad it may look, God is bigger and brighter than all the trouble we will ever see. And even today, he does not look at the world in aggravation, but as a God who is seeking whom he might save through his servant Jesus, even this morning. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Nehemiah's story and that's our story. And as we read through the book of Nehemiah and see how God used him and faithful, you should not look and say, they were lucky that the Ammonites did not come and destroy them as they did the first time that they went into Israel. They were lucky that the Arabs who surrounded them, who could not stand them, didn't come in and destroy them while they were rebuilding the wall. It has nothing to do with that. Nehemiah could have been a great leader and they could have still been wiped off the map. It is because God was doing a thing for his people. He was watching over them and caring for them as he did his beloved child. For those who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And they shall go forth again skipping like a calf loose from its stall. This is the promise of God for his people. We are his people. He's calling us to believe him for that. And that through us, not only change us as he changed Nehemiah, change the world. Our story is not finished. It is known in heaven what will happen to us how we will go but we are still in the middle of it and what you're doing may not look that great to you may not look that great to the world it wouldn't have looked that great to the world in Nehemiah's day but with God little is much the greatness in heaven is measured not by worldly accomplishment but by faithfulness to his name whatever you need to confess for yourself or the community. 
so that God can use us to change the world. Do you think the world is broken? Do you think that it's dark outside? You bring the light. I'll leave you with this thought. We've said it before, but it bears repeating. Jesus sat on a hillside teaching 5,000 people, and the disciples grew concerned because they were far from anywhere, and they had no food. And they went to the Lord and said, Lord, this crowd is great, and it is growing late. Send them away so that they might get some food, so they might not faint on the way. And what did the Lord answer? You feed them. You see brokenness in the world, and people you're afraid of are going to faint along the way, that the task is too big and there's not enough for everyone. And the Lord yet said, you feed them. And they did feed them. And they fed them, and there was so much food left over that they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers afterwards. The Lord blessed, what was it, two loaves, a couple of fish. Why? Because with the Lord, little is much. What will the Lord do with you? I don't know. But I know that his name is great and he doesn't do small things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning I pray that you will help us as you did Nehemiah. I pray that you will show us as you did Nehemiah and remind us that you are a God who seeks to save that which is lost that you are the God who left the 99 who were at home to find the one who had gone astray. And when that one was found, you rejoiced over the one who was found more than the 99 who had stayed home. You are a God who delights in salvation. You are a God whose angels delight when the least comes home. You are the God who takes it personally when the least of your brothers is overlooked and not given a glass of water in your name. You are the one whose heart is concerned for the orphan, for the poor, for the widow, for the outcast and the downcast. You are the one who helps the people up. You're the one who, when you had the whole world to choose from, chose fishermen and tax collectors to be your servants and apostles. So, Lord, this morning, we pray that we, your people, small as we are, weak as we are, sinful as we are, will be used by you to help others see the beauty of a loving God who forgives, forgets, and never abandons. Lord, help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand.